Hey there, Todd. That was a, that was a great discussion uh, that we had there. You know, you're talking about your friend uh, David Felker and and then your your grandfather's service, and <laughs> and then your barn. That's uh, that's crazy. No wonder no wonder you're the most popular kid in town. You know, you almost had a uh, uh, like a or arcade right there on the property. Now, one thing, Todd, I got to ask you: like, how did you learn? at 10 and 11 like the rules of blackjack and poker and and that um i had some uh, uncles that uh lived a kind of a dissipated life um i had one uncle in omaha uh, his name was felix uh, and um, he was party central uh, and so he would come out home and uh, the cards would be brought out and uh, and I just uh, absorbed it. I just absorbed it and he would talk to me about um, different uh, games and stuff and and I, I, I never won I, I never won. I never did win, right? But it was a lot of uh, fun to uh, be there with, uh, and my uncles, you know, most of them had a drinking problem. Uh, and, but for a kid, it was just, you know, great fun. So I, it was, you know, I, I don't want to describe Iowa as uh, Anna Green Gables uh, or Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm, because that's not the way it was. Uh, okay. Thank you for Rob for the question. <laughs> well, you know, we've spent some time together in Vegas and you've never said, Rob, let me take you down to the casino. I know, I know how these well, things operate. So I just told you, I just told you I never win. <laughs> that's right. right. So that was, that was right. probably a good thing. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's dive into what's next. Take it from here, Todd. Um, so in the, in this Iowa community now, uh, as, uh, and how does one say this without sounding like sour grapes, but it still rubs me the wrong way. The funeral home was right across the street from our house and the funeral home got sold. Now this is not the first time this has happened to me. So I don't want to elicit any undeserved uh, weeping or sympathy or poor Todd, because that's not the case. But the guy that bought the funeral home, uh, took a dislike to me almost immediately. I know that maybe is uh, incomprehensible and unbelievable, but he did not uh, warm up to me and it never improved. It never ever improved. So what I found was for all of my faults and all of the mistakes that I've made, I, I will go, I absolutely know this is true. The greatest strength the funeral professional has is a genuine love of funeral service. For all of its warts, for all of the problems, for all of the people that seem just not to understand us and what our mission in life is, regardless of that, uh, the love of funeral service I've found is the greatest asset that a funeral director can possess for one great reason. Nobody can take it away from you. Nobody can. Nobody, if you love something, nobody can take that away from you unless you let them. And 
because of my experiences with actually funerals at an early age and that I had buried almost every dead squirrel and dead bird in Avoca, Iowa for several years. I mean, I had a volume of 150 uh, calls a year. Um, I knew that in my heart that there was value, purpose, and benefit to the funeral even before I knew what the value, purpose, and benefit of the funeral intellectually was, see? So the guy wouldn't give me the time of day. I'd go over there and try to talk to him, and I'd get the brush off. In fact, he would talk to me in such condescending, arrogant terms. He'd sit back, he'd have a cup of coffee, he'd have a plate of cookies, and he'd never, ever, ever share a cookie with me. And all he would do is tell me how I was never going to make it, that this isn't a great, you know, it's tough being a funeral director. And that I'm not going to, you know, and I, I went over there maybe a half dozen times before I figured out that I, I was, this guy, he depressed me. I'd leave, I'd leave feeling what was wrong with me. And so, so what I did, because the love of funeral service is a great motivator, right? Now, not to be perfect, but a motivator to build a career, right? I needed to build my life. I was a young boy. I was maybe 14, 15 when this was going on. Because uh, when I turned 16, everything changed. But 14, 13, 14 in that area, uh, I needed to get out of town, right? We had one funeral home in town and the guy treated me like dirt I don't know if any of the listeners have ever experienced funeral directors treating people like dirt, but it's horrible, right? And what's really ridiculous about it, Rob, is because when a young person comes over to a funeral director and says, I want to be a funeral director, my opinion now is what they're really saying, right, is I want to be like you when I grow up. It's the greatest compliment, isn't it? It's the greatest compliment that a young person can give to a funeral director. I want to, I want to be like you when I grow up, and and I was, I the guy just treated me like I wasn't even a human being, right? So here, so here was the deal. I needed to get out of town, right? There's only one funeral home in town, and, I, and that, that baby was going nowhere, so. So I joined the glee club, right? I joined the glee club in high school because I figured out, and I've always been somewhat good at this, that I could see an avenue to get what I wanted done without drawing much attention to myself, right? And so, of course, I told my parents I wanted to, in the glee club a dad could have cared less but mother was thrilled and so i joined the glee club for this reason because the glee club always piled on buses and they went to these singing contests around southwestern iowa they went to every town in southwestern iowa to sing and that was my ticket right i i that was my transportation out of that little town and and by God, the, the, of course, the, the ultimate problem 
came that I could sing, right? And so my plan worked and I timed it. I did, I timed it so that about the time that they asked me to leave the Glee Club, I think I was the only human being in the Avoca High School that was actually invited to leave the Glee Club. They were usually trying to find people to join it, but they come to me. When that happened, I was just turning 16. I was getting my driver's license. And once I got my driver's license, all bets were off. But until that time, I get on buses and, and they would go to towns um, and they'd go to Shenandoah, Iowa. And I would go talk to Fred Hackett and I'd go over across the street, talk to Jim Towser. Uh, I'd go uh, talk to Des Harding. Uh, they'd go down to Clorinda and I would talk to Delane Seligren. Uh, they would go to Red Oak. Um, they would go into Missouri Valley and I would talk to uh, Cal Walker and, uh, and then at Hennessy Van Cleve and Hurley, there was this general director uh, named um, uh, Rick, Rich Hurley and he and I became good friends. And, and just bear with me here because there, there were funeral homes I would go to. I, I remember one in particular in Council Bluffs. Council Bluffs was a kind of a strange funeral town. There were four funeral homes in Council Bluffs and three of them were right next door to each other on the same street. They were right next door to each other on the same street. Well, there was this funeral home, Jesus, just a drop dead gorgeous building, right? Just gorgeous. And I remember walking in there and I was so nervous to uh, talk to this guy. And he was sitting there with a clipboard. And I'm telling you, Rob, he looked like a model out of Brooks Brothers. His hair was perfect. His tie was perfect. His suit was perfect. His shoes were shining. The funeral home was spotless. And I'm standing there as this 15-year-old kid going, hot damn. That's what I want to be like when I grow up. Now, I'm not like that now, but that's what I wanted to be like. And I went over to him and I stumbled this out. Maybe some of your listeners can relate to this. I stumbled out the words, I, I, I want to be a funeral director when I grow up. And he looked at me, put his clipboard down, and he looked at me and he said, you're nothing but a damn fool. I can remember the air just getting sucked because there I am standing in front of him in the foyer of his funeral home. And he has just beat the hell out of a 15 year old by literally vaporizing my dignity that, that I'm nothing but a fool. And here he is, the, his name's on the sign. So I knew early on, I did, that all funeral directors are not the same. There are funeral directors that are that are doing this they, that are that are burnt. They, they don't like it. They their 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 uh, their attitude is they don't love funeral service. And this guy was clearly one of them. And uh, over the years, I got to know a little bunch of other funeral directors that knew this guy, and it was always the same uh, same conclusion. So so. I'll go back to Rich Hurley in a little bit because then we'll bring this up to the end of this session. I got on the bus one day <clears throat> and we were going to Atlantic, Iowa for a singing contest. 
and, and this was crazy that they let me stay in the glee club as long as they did because i never sang with them right the minute that bus parked i was gone i would walk uh, rob i'd walk all over these towns in iowa i didn't have a car i'd walk for blocks looking for the funeral home right and i, I kind of got that I could sniff them out, right? You could you could see them a couple blocks away. They you know they all had a sign, parking lot, shutters, uh, canopies, all you know. Other homes didn't have that. And I remember going to Atlantic, Iowa. This was one of the most fortuitous experiences of my career. I walked into the Roland Funeral Home on East Fifth Street in Atlantic, Iowa, and there sat in this chair, this funeral director named Burdette Rowland. And Burdette Rowland, when I walked in there, he had a yardstick, stuck up his pant leg, scratching the thigh of his leg, right? He's there scratching his thigh in the funeral with his yardstick. And he looks up and he smiles at me and he goes, can I help you, young man? And I said, I, I, I want to be a funeral director. And he stood up, and no kidding, he walked over to me, and we were nose to nose because he was, he was an, uh, he was a wonderful human being, people person, just radiated kindness. And he looked at me and he goes, "That's the best decision you're ever going to make in your life." He said, "Come on, sit down, let's talk." Now, my loyalty to Burdette Rowland when I published my first book. I dedicated it to Burdette Rowland. He was one of the finest funeral directors that I've ever met in my life. There were two funeral homes in Atlantic, Iowa. All right, the other funeral home did about 12 calls a year. All right, one a month. Burdette Rowland would do 150 calls in a year in a little Iowa town. Right, one one farmer told me he said it'd be an honor to be buried by Burdette Rowland. Right now, that bespeaks somebody who loves funeral service, and and Burdette loved funeral service. There's no doubt. He was a tremendous mentor to me. Right. <clears throat> so anyway, I got asked, I got booted out of the Glee Club shortly after that. What What was their their rationale or their reason? That I was tardy for all the concerts, uh, that I couldn't sing. They had a litany of uh, offenses against me. Right, right. They did. Did they have like a dress they, code? Like when you're going in no, to see no, uh, no. Mr. Roland? No, no. Oh, I'm wearing jeans and um, a flannel shirt. I look like a farmer, right? You know, I mean, I hell, I didn't know anything about a dress code, right? Um, but, but, but my point being is that if a veteran funeral director shows baby undertakers the time of day is powerful. It is powerful. You you will create lifelong loyalty, because I was loyal as anything to Burdette Rowland. I I thought the world of that man. So anyway, uh, the bus goes to Missouri Valley, Iowa, and Burdette Rowland. We talked about me working over there, but they 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 didn't need any help. That's for sure. But I go to Missouri Valley, and there's a funeral home on East Huron Street in Missouri Valley, Iowa. It's up in Harrison County, last county before the river. And it was Hennessy Van Cleve and Hurley. 
and Rich Hurley was this young funeral director. He's since passed away. And I started talking to him and he said, well, why don't you come up here and work for the summer? I, 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 I couldn't believe it. Right. I'm, am I coming? Right. And I went home and, and, oh, my parents, you know, they started having a meltdown about me going to, uh, going to, uh, Missouri Valley, Iowa. And so he had worked and I'm leading somewhere. He had worked for Burkitt's in Omaha when Hurley was a high school student, like I had been, he had gotten a job with Randall Bigsby and Earl Burkett at the Burkett funeral home in Omaha. Burkett's buried the Protestant rich and famous in that city, right? If you were the president of the mutual of Omaha and died, Earl Burkett, Burkett's was going to have that funeral. It was just kind of locked. So I remember, uh, he called me up and said, I'm sorry. He said, we just have not been busy enough to justify hiring you. He said, but he said, I've called Randall Bixby at the Burkett Chapel in Omaha, and he'd like to talk to you. Now, in Omaha in 1968, there was a street called Farnham Street, and it was nicknamed Mortuary Row because there were nine funeral homes within a 10 block radius of that street. That's where all the old mansions were, see. And I remember telling my parents, and you'll have to read between the lines on this about my relationship with uh, my father. I remember telling my parents that I was going into Omaha to interview for jobs at funeral homes. And I had my bus ticket. I'm going to take a bus in. I didn't have my driver's license yet. I'm going to take the bus bus in. And so I, I, I got on the bus and I went into Omaha. So now while I'm gone, the story now is told to me a decade later that while I'm gone in Omaha, mother starts crying. And mother says to dad, why did you let him go into Omaha? He's only 15 years old. And my dad's response was, don't worry about it. Who is ever going to hire him? All right. Okay. All right. Now there's volumes there of the psychology of my early life, right? What I've just told you. So I go to Omaha and they dump me off at the Greyhound bus. I got to take a transit bus, a city transit bus up to Mortuary Row. And this was my first experience with what I call today the funeral director shuffle, right? I went to Burkett's and geez, I walked in there. Good God, what a beautiful place. Randall Bigsby comes down and I became good friends with all these guys over the years. And Randall, I, he said, well, you know, he said, I, he goes, I, we just really don't have any job opened right now, even though he said, but I did want to meet you right now. I, now today I would have said, you made me come in from 40 miles away for, for this. And, but you know, I was so enamored with it all. He said, here's what he did, Rob. He said, well, let me call Lloyd Jude down at Crosby's. That was four blocks down the street. And maybe he needs, so he called and Jute said, and Lloyd was a great guy. 
So I go down the hill, go into Crosby's, and Jude's there. And I told him, and Jude said, no, no. He goes, he goes I don't, I, we just don't have anything. But let me take your name and number, and if something comes, you know, just typical funeral director, polished, Curtis, you know, telling you no, blowing you off, but really nice about it, really nice about it. He said, let me call Dick Denton over at N.P. Swanson's, and maybe they're looking. So, so okay, okay. And so he goes, yeah, go over there. Denton wants to talk to you. So I walk up the hill back to N.P. Swanson. Nothing, right? No, no, we're not looking for anything. Denton looks, and he goes, let me call George Billerbeck of a John A. Gentleman. Maybe they need something. Oh, the phone call. So now this is the fifth funeral home, right? I'm just going up and down Mortuary Row going to these funeral. And Billerbeck, who's a great guy, comes down. No, I'm sorry. We don't need anybody. So I walk out on Farnham Street. And I am absolutely desolate, right? I mean, my enthusiasm, I have just been given the funeral director shuffle. I didn't even know it. And I look up Farnham Street, and it wasn't on my list, I'm telling you. And I looked up, and here is this gigantic red brick mansion covered with green ivy. Looks like Dracula's castle. And there's this big damn neon sign that says Hefe and Hefe on it. And I thought, well, what in the hell do I got to lose? And I walked up there. I rang the doorbell. It took forever for the old man to come downstairs. And he opened up the door and he said, may I help you, young man? And I said, I want to be a funeral director when I grow up. He said, come back here with me. And we went to the back office. He uh, said, when can you start? I said, I can, I, I can start this summer. I have my driver's license by then. He hired me on the spot. And what fortuitous life experience that the other ones hadn't hired me, right? That the other ones hadn't, because my time at the Hefe and Hefe Mortuary changed my life, all for the better. It was a, it was a socio, funeral sociology dream come true, that place. And that's where I think we'll pick up next time. Yeah, I think that's a great, you know, because I, although, you know, we've talked almost, you know, about 10 or a dozen funeral homes in, you know, in our uh, time together over the years, it usually just, I always thought, you know, Hefe and Hefe was always the, you know, the pillar. I didn't know that there were all these other ones ahead of time that, uh, you know, that you didn't connect with. So um, before we go, though, <clears throat> anyway, so we'll leave Hefe and Hefe for the next time we chat. <clears throat> Did later on in your going on 50-year career, did you ever have a chance to run into any of these ones from, you know, from the guy from uh, Blust to, um, you know, any of these other people that turned you back out onto the street? Did you ever, did they ever hear about what came of uh, Todd Van Beck from? Uh... Well, sure. Sure, and and actually, um, like uh, Dick Denton uh, from Swanson's, George Billerbeck, uh, Lloyd Jute. I used to go to his home after church for uh, screwdrivers uh, in the Sunday afternoon. Uh, 
uh, all those Iowa guys became good friends. I, I wasn't a grudge holder, right? And and I knew, um, and, and, and the other side would be that I did enough work with the Nebraska Funeral Directors Association doing seminars for them. And then also I was kind of a routine guy at Iowa Western Community College for their CEUs. And these very guys would be coming. Is this crazy? <laughs> these very guys would be coming for their CEUs from a guy that, uh, even the guy that told me I was a, uh, a damn fool, right? Uh, he and I became good, good friends. I, I, um, I never was a grudge holder about that because I, I, I had nothing to offer. They didn't know me from Adam, mm -hmm. right? I was some kid from Iowa. Uh, and, um, and so the, uh, so thank you for asking that because yes, um, you know, my, my, uh, the fortune of my career has not been a great financial wealth. It's not been, uh, that I've been, uh, uh, right. Uh, I've been wrong most of the time. Um, my great fortune was that I've been able to work with funeral directors in the field. I, the worker, the workers, right. The, the, the people that are uh, seeing families doing funerals, embalming bodies. That's the great joy, uh, of my, uh, of my career. Now I'll give you some poetic justice. You can imagine the look on my parents' faces when I returned home that evening on the bus and announced to them that I'd landed a job at the Heafy and Heafy Mortuary uh, on Farnham Street in Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, and, you know, it took them a decade to tell me the truth because what are they going to do now? Yeah. Right? What are they going to do now? They let me go in. Uh, neither of them thought I was going to pull it off. And, but by God, I came back and this was fascinating because the guy that hired me, uh, Mr. Heafy, the year he hired me was his 49th year as a funeral director. He, he got licensed in 1919 and you want to talk about, uh, uh, a collision of generations, right? Uh, here is this, uh, elderly funeral director taking a chance on some kid from uh, Voca, Iowa is remarkable, uh, remarkable. Between the uh, two of you, that's a century, Todd. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he, he was a, uh, he, a no nonsense funeral director, uh, no nonsense. Absolutely. There were, you know, and his nephew just died. Ed Heafy just died uh, two weeks ago. He was 91 and he and I worked together um at uh, the mortuary well hey todd as usual this this has been great we we know what we're going to talk about next we'll talk about uh hefe and hefe and uh i'm looking forward to that i always love those stories and i'm sure you'll pull out a few more that i haven't heard yet so thanks for this todd and we'll chat back soon thank you rob